0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is BELIEVE.
1: Hey everyone, on this week's episode I'm joined by Scott Foster, the Chicago-based accountant who famously played 14 minutes of shutout hockey for the Chicago Blackhawks in 2018. We talk in depth about what it meant to himself, as well as friends and family, and the crushing amount of media attention that resulted from it. We also go into Scott's college career at Western Michigan and some Chicago Beer League hockey talk. It's an incredible story, and I'm so happy Scott was willing to come on and give us perspective. Enjoy! Scott, thanks so much for joining me today. Have things kind of calmed down since your miraculous night for the Chicago Blackhawks a few years ago?
0: Oh uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, hockey people—they love—they love stories. They love—they uh, love talking about things that have happened in the past and, and stuff like that. So, in those circles, um, you know, people want to talk about fourteen minutes of hockey, which is which is crazy to think about how many minutes I've spent on the ice throughout my life. But. Uh, you know, in, in the general working world and stuff like that, it's, it's brought up uh, if, if I get introduced to someone new or something like that, someone always wants to kind of lead with that, which is kind of funny when you're working uh, your job as an accountant and they want to tell a story about, uh, you know, a hockey story that has nothing to do with your work. But uh, for, for all intents and purposes, yeah, things have uh, kind of returned mostly to normal.
1: Is it pretty cool, though, when you go into a work meeting and they introduce you as the guy that played in the NHL after doing accountant work during the afternoon that same day?
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember, remember times uh, not, not too long after when, when that night happened that, uh, you know, there's client meetings and stuff like that, that, that you're getting almost like requested to come in and say hello. And, and I'm clearly just like a back office guy. Uh, that just, you know, works behind the scenes. And now people are asking to say hello or or grab a picture or whatever. And I'm like, I don't even wear dress shoes to work. Like, uh, (laughs) if I'm going to have to start doing this, maybe I need to start throwing a tie on or something. like that. You've kind
1: of become a pseudo celebrity with it. Like, especially in the goalie world too.
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe like D E F list, something like that. But, uh, you definitely gave, uh, some, some beer leaguers probably some stories, uh, that, uh, or one for the ages, maybe for sure.
1: Well, let's kind of go back a little bit before this even happened though, because a lot of people didn't know your background. I mean, you played youth hockey, you played college hockey division one at Western Michigan. So what was your route like to, to get to school and then what it was like once you got there?
0: So I, I grew up in, uh, Sarnia, Ontario. We had, um, you know, a solid hockey programs there. Uh, we didn't have triple a, a triple a program until I got to about Wee, And that's when my area, um, you know, we got our first, it was called the lamp and lightning. So it was actually a County team, not even like a city team. They, so they got kids from all over. So I started playing triple a hockey, uh, around the Wee age. Um, and in my area, it was it was big to kind of get into junior hockey, regardless of what level it was at. So anything kind of below the the OHL, so junior B, junior C, something like that. You wanted to kind of get into playing that. So as a teenager, I, I spent my first season uh, in playing junior C, and then I played a couple years in in uh, in junior B in the, for the Petrolia Jets in the at the time the Western Ontario Junior B Hockey League or something like that. It's now amalgamated with all kinds of stuff, as you can probably guess. Everything changes over the course of time. Um, so out of that league, it was relatively re- well-recruited at that time. So it was a, it was a good place to be um, for trying to get into a U.S. college. There was a lot of coaches that had played in the, from, the, from those areas, so they went back to areas to recruit like that because um, they had played in those leagues themselves. Um, so after playing a couple of years in the Western Junior B Hockey League there, um, you know I was able to get get into Western Michigan um, and play my four years there.
1: Had you always had your eye on going to U.S. college?
0: I think growing up in the area that I did, um, probably as a kid I was more focused on ma- playing major junior, like get into the OHL. I had an older cousin that played played uh, through through there on a couple different teams, um, and you would. We had a home team in the Sarnia Sting. They moved there when I was a kid, and I went to a lot of those games. So you kind of envision yourself playing in that league. Um, and then as I got older and just kind of development curve and stuff like that, it became probably less of the route. And, and, just, and also talking to my cousin and, and his experiences – And things like that it it just things weren't kind of lining up on though in that regard so maybe late bloomer or whatever because I didn't go to didn't go to college until I was 20 which isn't um kind of outside of the norm really in college hockey but uh it it was a good path for me and uh but definitely not one that when I was a kid that I probably was dreaming about right
1: I mean, you came in and played right off the bat though. So was that a good experience your first couple of years uh being at Western Michigan?
0: Yeah, I think it was it was good timing. They had a uh, a senior that was leaving that had played that had played a lot, so the job was kind of open, um more or less. So you, you kind of you just battled for playing time. So I was able to at least get, you know, more or less like half the games in my freshman year, which depending on the situation like that i was pretty happy with the opportunity that was there
1: did you expect though when you got there first that you're going to play right off the bat like that but did you end up thinking that accounting was going to be the route you were going to take i mean so many of us end up at school undecided did you have kind of a clear plan as to what you wanted to do after hockey
0: no idea um the even in in high school i remember it was uh my my mom would probably tell you it was like pulling teeth just to get me to like pick classes. I, I was all over the map, um, even when I was looking at schools. At that point, I just said, "All right, do they have a business college? And if they had a business college, then I'll you know I'll figure it out from there." Um, so it was probably sometime in my freshman year, sophomore year that uh, some of the accounting classes just kind of clicked, and it wasn't necessarily you know, a love for them. It was just kind of, I can understand this. Um, it seems to work for me. So then I just started kind of pursuing that stuff on the academic side. Yeah. No idea going in what, what path I would take other than I'll go into the business school and kind of see where it goes.
1: And now you're quite possibly one of the most famous accountants, at least in North America, we could say the world, but, uh, <laughs> to you, what was <laughs> the high water mark of your college career? Like any games that really stick out that were really special to you?
0: So in my in my sophomore year, we went uh, we had a a three week, a three week uh, where we spent on the road. And and it actually coincides with what was probably my worst semester that I had in school because we spent so many days away from the classroom. But the uh, we played up at Cornell and their their senior class hadn't lost in years at home.
1: So what year was this, do you think? 'Cause we, we, we uh, it, overlapped in our college careers. I was only one yeah, so to 05.
0: It, it would have been my the O three, oh four season.
1: Yeah, they were good. Was that McKee or Lenavu in
0: that at that point? Probably McKee. That would have been McKee, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: they lost like two games that whole year.
0: Yeah, so we went uh we went up there to play them and I remember on the Friday night we were we were hanging tough. We had the lead and uh they scored real late to tie. And uh To this day we we still can't figure out that the puck actually ever went in the net so there was our coach was going ballistic and he he (laughs) refused to even have us come to the rink in the morning for like another morning skate on saturday like he was so mad at what took place friday night and we went in there on the saturday night and and we beat them and uh we with the, the way the dressing room is right by the student section. We sang a fight song, full door open, like, and then just <laughs> packed our stuff and left. So people um, that
1: are listening to this might not have an idea what it's like at Cornell. Can you describe what the atmosphere is like for the visiting team and especially for the visiting goaltender?
0: Uh, it's intense. One, it's, it's, a, it's a, a phenomenal college hockey rink where the students and the fans are right on top of you. They they love their hockey there so it's packed. Uh, They throw stuff on the ice during player introductions at the beginning of the game. They got the newspapers up like they don't care. It's loud, it's vocal. They've got the the coordinated chants just yelling all night. Um, It's just it's exactly what college hockey and college sports should be like.
1: And it's like the squarest corners you could ever imagine, too. Like, you're never going to get to handle the puck in that rink if they dump it in the corner.
0: And it's kind of like the minor hockey rink style where there's only seating on three sides, if I remember correct. And people can just kind of stand behind the net in kind of an open area, um, which is not, you know, you don't expect to see that all the time anymore. Like, even at Western, we had not even a complete bowl, but we still had seating on one end and the corners were just kind of missing but this if i i don't think there was anything behind the actual visiting goal um
1: Cornell was by far and away one of my favorite places to play which is ironic cuz i don't think we ever won a game against him in 4 years but it was just such a cool atmosphere to be in and it's just it's a difficult but a really fun place to play was there anything similar to that out in the western uh, in the CCHA though because we didn't get there very often we got Lake State I mean, Michigan Tech was in the WCHA. Michigan, Michigan State. That's all we
0: got. Yeah, and I, I would say actually, you know, Western has a really great home atmosphere, and a lot like that was the one thing. If you look at like Western's home and away records, at home were far superior than we were ever on the road. Probably, and I get, I know that's kind of normal for a lot of a lot of teams, but it's like exaggerated. Um, we have a very popular student base. They're rowdy. They love being. At the game, I'm up hours before games to get in, so we had a really good home atmosphere that mimicked sort of what Cornell was like. So it, it kind of made you comfortable being in that environment because it's loud. There's lots of yelling. Things are going on, um, but even like a, a small rink like Ferris State, like they they used to have this uh, this person who would write something on a like a like a cardboard piece of paper or whatever and and walk behind the net showing the students and they'd all be laughing but you couldn't see what was written and that would like drive players nuts and (laughs) their mascot would ride down a sled down the stairs and just smash into the boards and uh, just yeah random things that would happen at that place too but it's all you know it's all the college fun
1: so after your first two years there you only played one more game was it tough to take a back seat To watch the team go on kind of without you as a starting goaltender
0: yeah i mean it's it's difficult um, but at the same time uh you're having great experiences too i mean i've played with a lot of good players a lot of good guys and you can either sit and sulk that you're not playing or you can go out and find ways during the week to you know help your team in any way you can i mean i those games, like uh, little three-on-three games after practice from the blue line in, those become your games, and you play hard in that, or you battle in practice. You stay out after morning skate for guys that want to get some extra time in. You just you do what you can. Um, ultimately, you don't get to decide who plays. You can do your work, and you can do everything you can control, but the coaches are going to make their decisions however they see fit. And, you know, you see big picture, too, is that you're – you're going through school, and there's a there's an afterpiece to that that is also very important as a student athlete. So, you know, the, it's not that you ever lost that drive to want to play, but it's it's how you kind of manage those emotions. And even headed into my, I think the big the the hardest one was between playing a lot my sophomore year and then not playing at all in my junior year, is that going into my senior year is when you got one more kick at this and you're going to try to play so that summer I you know I worked you know I you buckled down again I, I went to Mitch Corns camp to spend some time there I didn't know you were um,
1: child of the corn as well
0: That's yeah great. my uh, so my goalie coach at Western was a volunteer coach by the name of Al Avery who's a you know Michigan State trooper by by day and he had worked a bunch at, um, Mitch's camp. And, uh, so I went up to Buffalo for a week there and, and, um, you know, I did everything I could to try to get ready for that senior year. And, you know, we all battled in camp and, uh, I got 20 minutes of playing time. It didn't go great, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, it's back to, back to the grind of just doing what you need to do to, to try to help the team. And it's, I think it was most difficult obviously if the team's not having like overall success then you're wondering like why can't I get a shot at this but um, again it's back to you can't control those parts so you know just work hard every day and, and see what happens.
1: A lot of times people don't understand especially at college how important the number three goalie can be for all the reasons you listed eating shots before after practice extra sessions And really in college, it's much more of a team setting, even than in pro sometimes, because you're in school together, you live together, like you're really a family. So even if you're not playing a lot, a lot of times those guys still have a great college experience. It sounds like you did as well. You graduated in 2006. What did you do for the next
0: 11 seasons
1: until you made your debut with the Hawks?
0: So the... That summer after my senior year, I actually uh, took my, my first internship in accounting. So I worked uh, in public accounting for three months. Um, and my with my intentions uh, were to go into grad school. And um, kind of nearing the end of that summer, I got a call from our coach and he said, hey, can you pop by the rink? I got an idea for you. I want to run by you. And uh, at the time, we really hadn't had any graduate assistants. Um, working with our team so he brought up the idea of saying I want to start this off and I want you to be first Um, so I went into grad school and I was able to go back and kind of work with the team so I basically spent another season at school going to class and spending a actually more time at the rink but on the coaching side Um, during games I I sat at the laptop breaking film down and you know I I just any kind of odd job around the rink um, you're just kind of on the different side of the door. Um, so that was actually a really interesting season, especially traveling on the road. Um, you know, you kind of monitor curfew and then you just make sure you are not escape the next day and, and stuff like that. So it was, uh, that was kind of a, a really cool experience. Um, and then after I kind of finished up grad school, um, my girlfriend at the time, now wife Erin, she uh, had moved up to Chicago to take a job and she uh, Accounting jobs aren't so hard to find in Chicago, so here I moved. And uh, in talking to some people, they said, you know, reach out to Johnny Zeiss House if you want to play and goalie, Division One on the resume. I think it took two hours to find a team <laughs> to play on.
1: So you're a hot commodity coming into beer League.
0: Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't very hard to get. One, it was kind of takes you back when they're saying, oh, you got to go on a free agent list. I'm like, I just want to <laughs> skate, like. What is this? Uh, is there contract negotiations or how does this, how does this work? Were you paid, um, in,
1: paid in cases of beer or
0: <laughs> just of yeah. vodka? What do you want? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I ended up just kind of, you know, playing, uh, grabbing a team up at Johnny's and you just start meeting people and, uh, you get on some, some different teams and, you know, I just found, found groups that I liked playing with and the game was, the game was fun. It's, it, you know you don't have to take it seriously um but you can show up and there's lots of guys with that have played kind of all over the place you you kind of name the level it kind of exists here in chicago and um it was fun it was fun going to the rink and so i i still enjoyed playing um oddly still enjoyed kind of getting hit by the puck and uh so just working away and, and playing men's league
1: there's so many of us that just quit and want to go play defense or forward you never lost your passion and drive to play goaltender
0: um you know I kind of look back and say with the way kind of college went in terms of playing I felt like I wasn't done and maybe I didn't get to I I don't know go out on my own terms or something like that I, I, I don't know I don't really have like a definitive reason. I always thought that when I was done playing competitively, that that would kind of be the end of it, but it didn't feel that way. So I just kind of stuck in there and it was still fun. So that was the, that was the key is I, I enjoyed being at the rank and, and stopping pucks still. So,
1: so how'd the opportunity come up for you to be an emergency backup for the Hawks or e-bug as it's known in the hockey community?
0: Yeah. So it's kind of been around for, for a while. Um, it used to be, they just had to have lists of guys and they would just have to call kind of on demand and see who'd come to the rank. And, and it doesn't take a genius to figure out that that's probably not the best system to have in place. Um, but I was playing up at Johnny's and and when they kind of put that rule in place, Tom Morrow, uh, who was the owner of, of Johnny's ice house, got a call from from actually i think it was mark bernard and uh so
1: bernie was the guy searching him out yeah i I can't even imagine that phone call
0: (laughs) well i think it was with him being kind of in charge of like minor league affiliations and and stuff like that that kind of just fell to him and the hawks were were using johnny's like as a practice facility or it's kind of known as a place that's got some good leagues so i think it was just an easy place to kind of start at first and uh Tommy had played, had played my first was playing at Johnny's. He actually played in one of the leagues, so I kind of got to know him. So he threw my name out there, and that's when Bernie reached out and was like, "Do you want to be on this list?" How many people were? It, it was clearly more than just one. I mean, I'm sure it's at least like a half dozen or more guys. Um, just in the case they needed it. Headed into uh, uh, two seasons ago, the NHL changed the rule and said we've got to have you got to have someone in the building, and that's when And it kind of changes from kind of like a funny story. You can give like a tidbit of yourself like, hey, and in case of emergency, like I could be one of 10 people that are going to get a phone call. Now it's a time commitment.
1: Yeah, it came about because Luongo and Montoya both got hurt the one game. And Florida was scrambling. They almost put Rob Tallis in. And then Derek McKenzie almost went in. And then finally one of the two guys came back out. So they kind of created a formalized way to have somebody like yourself in the building.
0: And it and it makes sense if you think about um, certain places it's probably not as abundant as here like you could relatively quickly you can probably find someone to get to the United Center but in a place like Florida that might not be as easy um, so it, it makes a lot of sense and and they uh, you know we talked about my wife and I talked about kind of what uh what, I, what we were going to do about this and whether or not I was going to take advantage of, like, going to NHL games for free, essentially. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, I took, uh, I ended up taking a dozen games and just happened to pick Winnipeg, uh, you know, in March.
1: So walk me through that day. Did you go to work and do your normal deal there and then head down to the rink? Or did you actually just take the day off and head down? How, how did it play out for you?
0: Every day that I had a game was no different than any other day that I... Kind of had um, whether it was a, a, a Hawks game night or not, like those kind of evening games, I still you know got up in the morning, got to work, got the kids where they needed to be, all that uh, work worked my full day, kind of the prototypical day, except um, needing to get to the game that night, kind of I think the, the rule was kind of be there by warmups.
1: Did you know you were going in that night? I mean, in terms of just dressing?
0: No, I up until I was probably about a block away from the United Center is when they called and said, hey, something's up, um, but you're probably coming downstairs. So that's when you – and even at that point, like there's stories around of guys getting a dress for a night, they sit behind the scenes, some sit on the bench, stuff like that. Um, that is what you think the pinnacle of that is. Like just kind of – for one night, kind of – pretend to be an NHL player. Um so that's when it was like, all right, you know, I did this all year and uh for one night I'm going downstairs. That's that's pretty cool.
1: Here's my reward. So you go out, did you actually take warm ups and then sit on the bench?
0: I didn't take warm up or sit on the bench. They again no one's I think at that point ever considering that you're gonna have to enter a game. And the the way the rule I think is written is that if you take warmups and sit on the bench, you're considered part of the game. So if something happens, you just have to enter the game and play. Um, but if you stay kind of behind the scenes and not do any of those things, then if you have to go in you can take warmup, um, then it becomes like they've, they leave it as like an emergency situation and you can have some warmup shots. Now I don't think I have to tell you this, but you know, a dozen or so shots, uh, wristers from the hash marks are not going to get you NHR ready.
1: They don't do anything for you. It's <laughs> like when the coach looks down to you at the end of the bench and he's thinking about pulling the other guy and he goes, get ready. And it's like, what am I supposed to do, jumping jacks?
0: <laughs> you know, as a goalie, yeah. you can't
1: get ready on the bench. You just got to get out there and do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, you part of you is thinking like, oh, man, I'd love to just like sit out on the bench. But, you know, you're not really in a position to be making demands, right? <laughs> so... Um, Yeah, so I just kind of, you know, hung out and watched the game like in the players lounge uh, in full gear, which was was interesting to say the least. But um, yeah, no warm up uh, that night. No, uh, no walking down the tunnel or nothing. Just kind of sitting there watching the game with Crawford and Taze and and, uh, Forsberg and the other scratches that night.
1: So when it finally happens, I mean, are you watching the monitor and you see Delia get hurt? What goes through your head? What's your heart rate doing?
0: Well, the the first thing that I actually remember was Forsberg and Crawford started talking because they, they actually thought that, you know, like, Colin took this puck in a, kind of an unforgiving spot, and you kind of think that they're going to shake it off, and I just remember staring at that TV like, no. That's, <laughs> this
1: isn't happening.
0: <laughs> none, of, none of that actually just happened, um, and that's when, like, your heart's going like, okay, like, there's a kind of an issue here. There's there's still a bunch of this game left and that's when the trainer came running down saying like, you know, get off the couch. <laughs> 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 you know, like, <laughs> Things are happening and you're the, and you're next. Um, wow. and, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're trying to remain as calm as possible, but I think there's also some shock that's taking place at the same time. Um, But at that point there's no real backing out like this is what you signed up for and uh you know it's gonna go how it's gonna go and uh you just kind of go out and play
1: so who was the person that actually came and told you you're going in
0: so at first it was um one of the assistant quitting manager he was sent to kind of get you ready in case he did have to come out because at that point they're not really sure who was it was it dj you know what? It actually was. It was DJ.
1: No way.
0: Yeah, that's. Now that I think about it, it was him. He he's the one that came running down and was telling me to grab grab my gear and start to get ready just in case he was gonna come out. Oh. Um, but they weren't really they weren't really sure because you know the trainer had to run out there first and kind of see what was going on and so they're just kind of prepping for worst case scenario here at that point. And, uh, then Kevin Dineen came down too and was telling you to, you know, you're, you're going out. So the two um, guys that have told
1: you DJ Koga, I was with in Peoria and Kevin Deneen was my head coach in Portland. That's why this is six degrees here. Anyway, go on. So Dino tells you you're going in.
0: Yeah. And then he, uh, so at that point you're, you know, you're grabbing, all I had to grab was my, my gloves and my helmet and, uh, Parchi starts walking out with my sticks and, uh, I I just had grabbed one without thinking and I'm I'm using some some sticks that are about ready to turn to dust. I mean they were my leftover <laughs> stock from uh from college. I left with, you know, a couple bundles or whatever. So being uh, you know, uh, an accountant, I'm frugal enough that I'll keep using stuff until it can't be used anymore. And uh I'm thinking in my head like, well, this isn't the my you know my beer league game stick that I got in my hand. Like I got to get that one at least. And then I get remember in my head like, oh wait, the shaft cracked the other day. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I gotta use this backup. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out like which stick I should use um, going into this NHL game. Like that that's gonna be like make or break. There is actually, I think if you like watch some of the game footage when they're looking down the tunnel, you can see me like having a conversation with Troy, uh, trying to figure out which stick I'm going to use. And uh, I don't know. But I can't explain why that was important at the time, but it was.
1: So one of my favorite parts of this whole thing, though, is when you finally emerge from the locker room, come walking up to the bench and Quenville looks at you and he's got a huge smile on his face. And you can kind of make out what he's saying as you're headed in, but do you remember his exact words to you as you went yeah, out on the it was, ice?
0: It was, go get him, kid. And <laughs> That's what it was like. There was so many people that referred to me as a kid that night, and <laughs> I was the oldest player on the ice the moment I stepped on. <laughs> like, Patrick Sharp was playing out his last few games, and I was a couple months older than him. Like He was getting ready to retire, and I was making my debut.
1: So what were the boys saying to you when you got out there? I mean, I, I've kind of known these scenarios because I was a big surprise of the NHL when I showed up the one year, nobody had ever heard of me. So I remember people skating by kind of wide-eyed going, hey, welcome
0: to the league, kid. Did you get any of that? You know, when I was skating on the ice, I, I'm sure there was a thousand things said to me and I didn't hear a single one. Like, that is just pure shock that you're entering that ice and your mind is all over the place that you can't, I don't think I could have held a conversation with anybody at that moment. Even taking warm-ups, like, just as simple as, like, 2 players shooting, I couldn't even, like, figure out where a puck was going to be coming from next. And it's just every other one. Like, it's not a difficult scenario to play out. Um, but even during the game, like, you know, a, a stoppage of play, the one of the refs skated by, and he's like... You know how about this and i was like yeah how about this like
1: (laughs) i'm the one that can look like an idiot in front of everybody here buddy yeah like
0: how about like can we do running time like uh, (laughs) like how do we get this going here like
1: so do you remember your first shot and how good did it feel to make that save and get it behind you
0: that was uh the most important thing i think that happened that entire night and it was you know, just a bad angle shot that I used, you know, VH on something that nobody would do anymore. So it was, you know, a technically an old school play, I guess, in today's game. But it didn't matter. Uh, the puck hit me and it stayed out of the net. And I, that's, you know, you just have to get through it. And that reminds you that it's, it's just hockey. So just play. And it's going to go how it's going to go. But... Just do what you know how to do.
1: Yeah, and it's not like you didn't have experience. You played high level Division One hockey. You can take a goalie out of that and plug them in the NHL, and they can be successful. It's not usually twelve years later after they're finished yeah. with their career <laughs> like yours. But do you remember? We, yeah, I mean, you had seven saves. I guess. Do you remember every save of the game?
0: Uh, yeah, and and it's weird. You even remember like shots that whizz by the net, like that come. That that was one of the things too that. The, the biggest difference of, like in men's league, like people are, they got to go to work the next day. So a lot of pucks they're like trying to get out of the way of, like the amount of traffic and trying to find pucks and the players are huge and they know where to stand to not get hit, but that allows pucks to get through guys can get pucks through. So I remember like just the traffic and just trying to find the puck was, you know, a chore in itself and, and even yeah like I said even ones like that whiz by the net like I remember those ones and you're just like where did that puck even come from
1: yeah let's actually talk about that a bit because aside from the super cool story of this what did you face out there that did feel different obviously the traffic finding pucks what really struck you uh, as something that you hadn't experienced yet as a goalie
0: well the if you watch that portion of the game I mean it was you know there was a, a four goal lead And the ability for NHL players to get themselves into a position to block a shot, like there was probably 20 pucks that were blocked in 14 minutes of hockey.
1: The boys were playing hard for you.
0: Right. And the amount that they were like, one, that they can ratchet it up and just lock down and just know where to be to get in the way of a puck. And because, you know, that they're going to be shooting from anywhere and everywhere just to see what's going to happen, maybe more so than they would, you know, like what was happening for the rest of that game. And that makes complete sense. Like, just see what goes, you know, what can go on with with this goalie coming in. But, you know, those it's just it's incredible to know, like that they that they can kind of it was like having extra goalies out there like I. I kid you not, that's what it felt like.
1: I think the biggest save for, that I saw at least is a backdoor on Paul Stastny that you absolutely straight up robbed him, like for real. This wasn't like beer league guy comes in and makes a decent save. This was a legit, unreal save. Crowd goes absolutely bonkers. Like when you made that save, did it just course through your veins like you'd have been hit by lightning?
0: It did. Um after a couple seconds because if you watch it my first reaction is where's the puck oh you didn't know where it was (laughs) i was like i'm pretty sure i got that and then i'm looking around and then i'm like oh there it is that's when it felt good because just that one split second of like i think it got there but i'm not sure
1: so as time was running off the clock you you played 14 minutes the later it got in the period were you able to really kind of savor it enjoy it and think hey i'm I'm doing this, man. This is the NHL. What a great time.
0: Yeah. Once you, you, that's when it kind of gets into a bit more of a game rhythm. Like at first there's obviously nerves and you're trying to get, it was a probably a good minute or so before I faced a puck. And um, that's when it just felt more like this is a hockey game. You can soak it in of like the experience. Even like a random thing, like I, I stopped uh, one rim around the boards behind the net. And I was like, yeah, I did that in the NHL. Like, I'm a terrible puck handler, but I, I set one up behind the net.
1: <laughs> and your stick uh, didn't break.
0: <laughs> yeah, my stick didn't break. I didn't fall down. Like, um, but, yeah, that, that's when those moments are kind of ticking down. Like, you're, I think, ready for it to be over. But at the same time, you understand, like, this was awesome.
1: Was it a wash of relief, though, once the the, t- the seconds ticked off and the game finally ended?
0: Oh, biggest sigh of relief ever. Like, you're just, yeah, f- 14 minutes felt like a lifetime. I'm sure. <laughs> like, you're just, it- it's not like the, uh, you know, like we play 15-minute beer league periods, right? And this was less than that, and it felt like an eternity. Um but to get through that game and you know you make some saves, I mean, it, it felt good. I mean, you're obviously you know definitely relieved, but definitely very, very happy.
1: I mean, this wasn't a novelty though, that's the thing. And I, I hope people realize this, that you played in the NHL. This wasn't a fluke. It's obviously a fluke that two guys got injured, but you went out, you're prepared, regardless if it had been 11 years, 12 years since college, you played. Nobody could ever take that away from you. But you know what? When you look back on this and you can share it with people, what's your feelings on it?
0: Um, you know, I take a lot of pride in it, and and that's where you get into certain um, like certain experiences that I've had since. And I, you talk to to players, and I think that's if if you're going to be self conscious about how it's going to receive, how it's going to be received, it's to to other hockey players and how they view it. And, you know, talking to like Hawk alumni or even, you know, other guys that I've played with or current players, like, they all look at on it like, that's awesome. Like, you did it. And like, that's, that's amazing. And you made it. And, you know, like, welcome and good job. And that's when it really like resonates with you. Like, yeah, you know what, I I played in the NHL and it was you know, most people view it as like the uh, the super talented player that's going to get there, kind of regardless, or the guy that works really hard. Well, I found like option C, um, <laughs> which uh, you know maybe not as conventional, but you know it's uh, you know it's an amazing experience, and um, I actually uh, really like how my kids view it you know they they don't know any of the story they just saw you do something and they get to go to hawks games and they remember that and you know they love number 90 now and that's that makes it you know a million times better than it probably was
1: so when you're the first star of the game did you have any idea what to do when you skated out for it
0: none none at all like people are saying that you know you should have like done a full lap or all kinds of stuff but I don't think you can, you can't process all the emotions and all the things that are coming uh, at you at that moment. Like even you're taking post-game interview on the bench and it's hard to even find words to describe what just took place because I don't even think you're sure at that moment. Like you you weren't expecting it, you weren't prepared for it. So you didn't have, you didn't have any visions of this. Like I, I wasn't sitting there watching games ever pondering like entering a game um again because you think that just getting downstairs and kind of being around the guys for a night would have been would have been kind of the peak
1: you had some absolute classic lines though in the post-game media scrum. i mean for some guys that walk off and do this they'd probably be so shell-shocked they couldn't even handle doing the media but my favorite line you had was you just keep grinding and weigh in beer league and eventually you'll get your chance. I mean, had you been (laughs) sitting on that line for years and years or did it just come to you in the moment?
0: I think that was, I've, I've actually said this before, I think is that was one of like the proudest parts of that night was that during the interview time, you didn't lock up. You didn't get, I didn't get nervous. Um, I just spoke and you just, I was myself like I don't have to do that every day. Right. Like you're getting asked the same questions and now a lot of these aren't going to be the same questions that are asked day in and day out in the NHL. But, you know, I can just speak freely and it was all just kind of whatever came to mind at the time and you kind of had fun with it. And eventually you just kind of fall in like this is a good time. Everybody's having a good time with this. So let's just enjoy this for what it is.
1: Absolutely. Just run with it. I mean, some of the lines you had even, I'm just hitting my prime, you know, 35, 36. (laughs) Like, I mean, that's the stuff that PR teams wish they'd get out of players, to be honest with you. Like so many times we're just clammed up and afraid to show personality. You must've felt completely free in that interview.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you, at the, at the moment, like the only one you have to answer to is yourself and your family. And, you know, at the, you don't have anything I didn't have a connection to the Hawks other than going to these games and you're not worried about, you know, your next contract or anything like that. Like, you can, you can just have fun and treat it like it is a game and that you just, had an, you just did something that was really awesome.
1: So did you have friends and family after this, though, that thought all of a sudden, Scott's an NHL goalie. Somebody's got to offer him a contract.
0: There's probably a few people that thought, like, you could go and try to do something and you just have to kind of temper expectations that, like, 14 minutes of, like, clinging to your life is, is, not, is not what it takes to be a pro uh, and to do this on a day in and day out basis. Um, but I think generally speaking, like, people kind of understand, um, you know, what it was and, and uh, that it, it's not going to turn into something bigger than that.
1: What did your wife say to you after this?
0: You know what? It was not much uh, words that were spoken. Um, it was just a lot of like, well, and then staring. I mean, was like, it emo- you, was it emotional though? It was it was fun. Like we had a lot of laughs and, and joy. And they wanted to kind of hear the behind the scenes story about like you fill them in as best you could, kind of before you even entered the rink. Uh, just to let them know that you're going to like be downstairs. And if you, you know, they usually had the games on when, especially if I was at the game that night, but you know, with the kids and stuff, it might not have been watching from like pregame and stuff like that. So just a lot of questions and a lot of smiles, but it was, I mean, just, you couldn't, you didn't even have words to describe it to them. Like we, my, my parents were actually in town because it was Easter weekend. So they were able to watch the game and, because um, they, they wouldn't have otherwise even seen any of it until probably after the fact and watching media coverage versus watching it like live unfold. So them being there, you know, just amplified everything too. And, um, you know, it was, it was funny to kind of talk to my dad, especially after that. And my dad's not, not one that ever he, – he was always just preached kind of like, go out, work hard, have fun and, um, do what you can do. And, you know, the chips will fall where they fall. But I remember him asking me even about how many like shots I faced thinking that they overcounted and stuff like that. I'm like, no, dad, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that. This is not happening. (laughs) (laughs) We never did that when I was a kid. Why are we doing that now?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I, I can imagine after this all happens, that one walking back into work, the next day must have been mayhem, but the media commitments and requests were probably huge. Did it ever start to get kind of overwhelming?
0: Um, by the end of the weekend, I had reached my point where it was too much. It was a lot. You know, it's it's relentless. Uh, you let's say they reach out to the Hawks. They're going to reach out through your work. They're going to reach out through your wife's work, your parents. Like Western Michigan was fielding phone calls. You name it. Like the requests are coming in. And at first when I walked out of that rink, you know, and I had kind of talked to Adam and his team there at the Hawks, like the communication guys, I said, you know, I'm kind of, I'm good. Like, I don't know what else I can do to this. Like I did post game, like I'm, I'm, I'm good. When it didn't kind of end there, you're realized like, I'm not, I'm not prepared for any of this. And it was on Monday when you start to reach out to people that had offered up help. Before the weekend, kind of knowing where it was trending to say, like, all right, it's time. Like, how do we, what do I do here? And um, luckily, there's a lot of good people to kind of help you manage manage things and and stuff like that. So
1: So finally it gets to the NHL awards ceremony, though, and they ask you to come out and help present the VESA. Was this kind of the moment where you said, you know what, let's have some fun with this. I think I'm ready to do this again and step back into the limelight.
0: Yeah, and it was everybody thinks you kind of turn down everything just blanketed and that was not really what was taking place. What it, what it became was when you reach out for help is you start to how you manage the requests and you evaluate them each individually instead of just instantly saying no to everything. Um, Cause there were certain things that I explored potentially doing because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And to just say no is not, you're not being fair to yourself because that opportunity, is, it's not coming again. You know, certain things are just, even to speak to, uh, I don't know, like a TV show, like Ellen. We talked to Ellen about potentially going on there. And it was Easter weekend, so there are a lot of stories that built up. So you, you ultimately don't get selected to go on. But you at least have the conversation to say, like, when am I going to get this opportunity again? The answer is, I'm an accountant, Never. When the NHL presented it, my first thought was that it was a joke. To be honest with you, (laughs) this can't be real. (laughs) Yeah, like no way. And then it was said, well, they don't joke about stuff; they just put requests out. So this is one hundred percent real. And then it was like, well, you've got to go and do. I've got to do this because I will. You know, I'll be. You know, looking back on that, like that was a wasted opportunity to go, like to not go and take advantage of something like that. So it, it didn't really take long to, to decide that that was something that I should go and do and, and have fun with for the weekend or for the week or whatever. And um, so my wife and I were able to get out to Vegas and we had never been as well. So it was like a bunch of, uh, we were able to kind of loop in a lot of things on a Vegas trip um, centered around something that was, uh, you know, an awesome experience.
1: So when you are in Vegas for this, though, were there players and other people at the banquet coming up to you just looking to shake Scott Foster's hand tell you how good you'd done? And also, were you more nervous stepping onto the stage for that or stepping onto the ice
0: in Chicago? 100% stepping onto the stage that night. Um, One, because there's a rehearsal in the morning, so a lot of it's like you're practicing for this. And as you kind of alluded to, like with... With interviews and stuff, I'm more of a shoot from the cuff type of person. I think that's when it's funny, not scripted and things like that. So you're now kind of following a quote-unquote script, and and uh, so definitely more nervous. I even look at that video and like, why, what? Like, I'm clearly I don't know what to do with my hands. And
1: like, <laughs> you're I'm, self I'm critiquing guy. like truly a goalie here. You're looking back at your video to see what you could do better. <laughs>
0: we had a lot of fun with that. And, and even like some of the people, I, I remember there was uh, some of the, like the U S uh, women's Olympian players out there and I'm like, Oh, I got to talk to them. And you, you kind of have a chance to meet them. And all they want to do is talk about you know your time uh, for a few minutes in the NHL. And I'm like, I have so many questions about like all these Epic games you guys have played. But, um, that, I mean, that's kind of been the case is you've just, you've had this like one moment in time and people want to talk about it. And that's, you know, that's hockey people, right? They, they love hockey stories. So they want to hear them, but I'm also a hockey person. So I want to hear their stories.
1: Absolutely. Is there anything from that night that still sticks out in your mind as, as being kind of unique or maybe just something that one of the players said to you after the game?
0: I remember that all the guys in the way they were celebrating after the game, like it was, essentially a lot, it was a lost season at that point, but it was just guys were going like berserk on the ice. Like people were spraying water bottles and, you know, like just the hooting and hollering and stuff about this. Like it was a six, two win on a Thursday night, like on a season that's just being played out, but it was treated like so much more than that. And, and that just goes to show that they like understand like the magnitude of what just took place, like for you. And, um, you know, that, that's uh it makes it special that they took joy in that too.
1: So what was it like the next day at work? Did you get anything done?
0: Uh no, not really. Quite frankly, I I came in because I didn't know what else to do. Um <laughs> you, you probably know, still
1: felt like you were floating at that point, right?
0: Yeah, I knew the crash was going to happen eventually because I didn't sleep at all that night. Your phone's like endless. I watched the game again um that morning. And then it was just like, I I don't, I can't sit here at home and do nothing. Um, That'll drive me like insane. I got too many things like going through my head right now. So I just went into work like that was going to like solve my, my issues that I was having. But, you know, that's just like a a parade of people that want to talk about like your night. And it, and it was a lot of fun and I work with a lot of great people. So, you know, you're telling stories and having fun with it there. But eventually, you just kind of hit that wall. Like, I, I can't. I need. I need to uh, to get out of here. It was a good time to to have here and spend time with those people. But um, I was ready to to get out of here.
1: Out of this whole experience, not really on the ice, but away from it, who was the coolest person that reached out to you or that you talked to that you would have never expected?
0: That's a great question. You know, I would say that a lot of it has been some of the, the Hawks alumni that have kind of brought you into their family. Like people like, like Dennis Savard, like he, you meet him and he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. He treats you just like he treats anybody else, for one, but he also, when he, if he introduces you to somebody, he proudly tells like this story about something that you did for the Hawks. So I would have to say, like, that whole group of guys and the way that they kind of welcome you right in has been unbelievable.
1: How about people from the past, though, like even college? I remember Paul Shahura just going bananas, like, Fozzie's in the net, and Jeff Levecchio and these guys. Did you hear from some of your past teammates that you wouldn't have expected from?
0: Um, You know, that— I think speaks to just the character of those guys too. I mean, a lot, you name it, like people reached out, but like hearing from a lot of those guys and maybe you've lost touch with a couple of them here and there, but yeah, you definitely had some like rekindled some like old relationships that have kind of, you know, been lost a little bit and you hear from those guys and you, you tell stories and stuff like that. And it's just like, you know, back in college or old times, like it's, it's amazing how fast that just like reignites, like, the friendships from all the battles and stuff that you guys have been through, and and uh, just like the amount of joy that they feel too for for what kind of took uh, what took place that night, and even just like the reaction to like Western Michigan as a whole um, and the hockey team, like they, you know, within within a couple weeks they're already talking about how they're putting like uh, you know a Foster jersey up on the NHL wall and the plaques and stuff with all the guys that have played and. And it feels a little bit weird at first because you're looking at all the guys that have uh, you know, how they made it and the work that they put in and then, you know, your jerseys going up with them and it it feels it feels odd, but you kinda you realize how much like how how much pride you can have in that and, and that's because the school and the team and, and the players they have pride in it as well in the Bronco community. So it's uh you know, the the reactions are amazing.
1: College hockey is such a special experience in all our lives. I had that at St. Lawrence. I can tell it comes through for you at Western Michigan. Lastly here, I got to know, though, what do you have for advice for beer leaguers out there that are looking to make their NHL debut someday?
0: Oh, your equipment. I remember I I just had gotten new gear about three weeks earlier, and the thought of entering that ice in my old stuff would have just been a disaster was it trash like it had been years oh, ago. i mean it was i had gotten new gears since leaving school um but it was definitely uh definitely a few skates overdue for replacement um <laughs> you you kind of looking at you walk out there you got you know a nice looking nice looking set and stuff but i was like oh man like if this was the beginning of march this would have been bad this <laughs> would have been bad <laughs>
1: Well, you did. You had a nice dark setup, your mask. Like, you looked the part, man. Well, yeah.
0: You know, look good, feel good, right?
1: (laughs) That's the whole key to everything as a goalie, right? Yeah. (laughs) You have such an incredible story. It really is. Uh, And I'm so happy we got a chance to kind of chronicle with this and I hope it can happen again for you. That'd be amazing if you could be a two-timer out there when you're in demand. But uh, thanks so much for coming and telling your story. And I'm so happy that your kids can look at Superhero Dad now as a former NHL goalie. Thanks
0: again. Hey, thanks, Mike.
1: Thanks for listening to 6 Degrees with Mike McKenna. Please make sure that you like, comment, leave a rating, subscribe, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.